Welcome to a Veterans Podcast, powered by Wisconsin Veterans Network, the show where we hear unique, inspiring stories from veterans all over. Veterans who've transitioned, who've overcome obstacles, and even those still struggling. We will learn all veterans have a unique story, ones filled with pain and triumphs, and we will learn no veteran is alone, no matter the path they took. We share their stories to help motivate and inspire the world, to help understand what it means to be a veteran, and most of all, we share to give them a voice amongst the noise. You can find us at aveteranspodcast.com to learn more and how you can be a part of the show. Welcome back, everybody, to a Veterans Podcast. My name is Kelsey. I'm your outstanding host, and I am so, so incredibly excited that you're listening today, just like every day, but always. Um, and we have a really awesome guest on the show today. We have retired Lieutenant Commander Mike Sorelli. He was in service from 1998 to 2018. He was a recon Marine and a Navy SEAL, uh, so all around pretty uh, awesome. And so I'm excited for him to share his journey, share what he kind of went through, and then um, to talk about his book. He's an author. Um, he wrote The Talent War, which focuses on how to help corporate um, places hire, you know, ex-special forces and things like that. So really cool information. He's also the founder and CEO of Echelon Front Overwatch, which I'm sure we will talk about today. And I think it's going to be great. So I'm so glad you're here. Today's show is sponsored by Wisconsin Veterans Network, an established Wisconsin nonprofit ran by veterans for veterans. Their mission is to provide guidance and support for all veterans, whether guard, reserve, active, or even a bad discharge, looking for any kind of assistance in the state of Wisconsin. If you are a Wisconsin veteran looking for an answer, whether a simple question about benefits or are currently homeless, give them a call today. You can find more information about them at wisvetsnet.org or on our website, aveteranspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at A Veterans Podcast. And no, I don't do the viral TikTok dances because that's weird. So have a seat and listen up to this great episode. Hello? Hi, is Mike there? Yes, ma'am. Hi, Mike. This is Kelsey from A Veterans Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it, and I'm really excited to have you. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous, though. Why are you nervous? I don't know. I just, I've, I've done a little research on who you are as a person, <laughs> and I think it's a little intimidating, um, but I think I'll manage. I, I, yeah, I'm the, hey, the easiest going person. Um, trust me, I was the dude that was never good at anything. So everything was a struggle <laughs> to make it to the, uh, to make the deal team six was like just a constant struggle. And even staying there every day was, uh, was a hardship. So, uh, you know, uh, thank you for what you do, uh, and putting this good word out there. I know so many veterans need it. 
Uh, they just need a few words of encouragement, and, and that could be the difference in them making it or taking their life, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah definitely. So you say that you struggled, but how can you struggle when you were a recon Marine and a Navy SEAL? Like, how did you get into all that? And how did you kind of, when you joined the military, was that your ultimate goal or kind of, how did that all start for you? Um, so have we started recording? Yes. I, I want to, uh, let me, let me turn the volume off my computer. Okay. Give me one second. Make sure that's muted. Oh. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I see your questions. Why did I join the military first? Um, I, I think I joined the military, um, like most kids do. I know some kids come from a military lineage mm-hmm. and there's that family sense of pride and they go in, they continue to serve. It, it's been, you know, reared in them from, uh, from birth. Uh, I think, you know, I, that was me. I, I came from the Bay Area, California. Uh, I think it's because of Universal Studios and Warner Brothers mm-hmm. and all the movies that I saw and all the books I read about the guys in Vietnam, Special Forces, Recondo, uh, Force Recon Marines, and Navy SEALs. And, and I thought it was cool. And then when I met a guy named Staff Sergeant Ben Post, and he was a Force Recon Marine, I think it was, I was 18 or 19 at the time, I probably weighed 130 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> And here's this dude who's like six feet tall, you know, to the hilt. Um, He was humbly confident, smiled, was respectful and kind to everyone. People just gravitated towards him to include me. And and it just reinforced him like, damn, that's what the military produces. Mm -hmm. Because I guarantee he he didn't look much different than me. And I'm like, if that's what the outcome is, then I'm joining that organization. And I went on to join the Marine Corps and become a, a recon Marine like him and, and actually a scout sniper as well. Um, and, and do I love my country? Hell yeah, I love my country. But it was more the desire to belong to a group that you, you got to earn it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a poster the Marine Corps had. And on the poster, it was from, I want to say, the 80s. It has a drill instructor, and you know that that brown Smokey the Bear hat. Yeah. Yeah. In the face of a recruit, and it says, "We're not promising you a rose garden." And I thought that was the coolest thing, man. You've got to <laughs> earn the the title. And yeah, definitely. And I, I my head from my ass, uh, and I enlisted, and I never thought I was going to make a career a career out of it, mm-hmm. and. I couldn't, for those 20 years, view myself doing anything different. And then when it's the time of war, I just couldn't ever morally justify leaving the military knowing that someone else was going to go downrange uh, in my place. Wow. I mean, that's that's cool to hear that story because especially when you joined, you joined in 98. So it wasn't like there really wasn't a whole lot going on military-wise. So to hear like your um, inspiration was that poster. That's kind of cool to hear. I've seen a lot of like, so I did the Navy for 10 years and um, the female Navy posters from way back in the day were really inspiring to me as well. So that's interesting to hear that. That's really cool. That's, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to have to, hmm? so were, were there many female posters back then? No, I, 
I think I saw one and it was, I, I want to say it was from like World War II that a recruiter had up in the office. Yeah. And it, it said like, gee, I wish I were a man. I joined the Navy or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay, game on. Let's do this. Like <laughs> challenge accepted. So um, I'm glad I'm not the only one who was actually inspired by those posters. <laughs> yeah. They, they, either we were inspired or we fall into the, these are the people we can trick into enlisting or uh, yeah. seeking <laughs> we're I don't know. Easily persuaded. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So then where were you on September 11th and how did that impact your career? I know you kind of just mentioned that um, you couldn't see others going off to war and you not going yourself, but what did September 11th mean to you? So I was a sergeant in the Marine Corps on something called the Marine Enlisted Commissioning Education Program, one of the best uh, programs in, in the military. They sent me back to school on active duty. And in fact, I had just returned from Marine Officer Candidate School, where I set three records, the highest leadership score uh, ever recorded, uh, had one of the fastest times on the O course, had my name up on the, uh, the little record board as well as the uh the british marine uh i think they call it the uh it's the endurance test which oh, wow. uh it was very unique um and so i you know I, i'm super motivated get back late august start my my semester towards earning my commission so i can go off and be a marine officer uh and then on on a regular tuesday um i forget who called me but uh, they're like, hey, are you seeing this? And, and I was in a, I was a, a resident assistant, an RA mm -hmm. uh, in a dorm, private dorm off campus. And so I ran to somebody else's uh, room and, and turned on the TV. And, um, you know, I, I called my old man. My, my old man is my, my greatest mentor. Uh, he and I butt heads nonstop to this day. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, I'm like, hey, I'm I'm calling my my detailer. I'm gonna go check back into uh, uh, first recon battalion. I I need I need to get over there. And he said, hey, I know you were thinking about trying out for the seals. He said, stay the course. You're so close to finishing your degree. Stay the course. And he said, son, this this is not going to be a short war. Trust me. And he had served in the army uh, during the Vietnam era. Okay. Um, and he was right, but, um, I, I struggled with that decision because it's almost like I, I felt, I knew my buddies were going to go off the war to Afghanistan mm -hmm. during the, the invasion. And, and I felt like I wasn't doing my part. And, and it, honestly, like I was a little depressed. I felt like a, uh, uh, a dirtbag. Mm -hmm. Um, but as the war started to kick off and I'm still at Texas A&M, I'm seeing that SOCOM. The Special Operations Command is in the lead. And my recon buddies, since uh, Marine Recon was not part of SOCOM mm -hmm. until 2005 when it became MARSOC, uh, that they were not uh, the first uh, of choice for a lot of the Special Operations missions. And so it actually helped me make the final decision to leap from the, the Marine Corps to the SEAL community. But, um, you know, people ask us about what is the most defining time uh, uh, of my career. Uh, it's that moment. And I'm assuming it was, for most Americans, the most defining point uh, in their lives. 
Yeah, um, definitely. We knew we were going to war. And Kelsey, I'll finish with this. You know what's unique about that time is it's not the fact that we were hit. And, you know, we lost 3,000 American lives that I would do anything in the world to, to have back. But if you do have to find some good and the bad, uh, especially in the wake of 2020 and how divisive this country is, mm-hmm. when that happened, every American put their differences aside, Republican or, or, or Democrat, um, black or white, uh, gay or straight, nobody cared. We came together uh, and rallied around those uh, those fallen buildings, either uh, over the television or in person. Mm-hmm. And we banded together as a nation. And it's sad that we can't get back to it. It's sad that it takes a tragedy for us to recognize what's important. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Definitely. I, I've seen it, and I don't remember the quote directly, but I've seen it a lot in the, I want to go back to America on September 12th of 2001. Because yeah. that was the day that we were all one. It didn't matter, just like you said. And um, I can agree with that. I mean, I was in high school when September 11th happened. Um, but that was my ultimate reason to join the military was because of that. And I wanted to make a difference. So um, that's really interesting. Yeah. How do you how, – how does one go from being a recon Marine to a, a Navy SEAL? Like you had to know what you were in for going into like SEAL training, because that's not easy ever at all. Like, what is your thought process when you do something like that? And how do you get through that training? Like, is it more mental than physical? Is it just awful on both ends? Like, what what is that like? I've always wondered. <laughs> you, you know, people ask me, and my mom still laughs to this day, laughs to this day. She's like, you know, most people follow a typical path. And she's like, you are off the beaten path. Um, cause most people just go and become a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the challenging training for me was actually probably becoming a recon Marine. Cause I made it to recon school, uh, what they call the basic reconnaissance course pretty quickly after boot camp, And so I was still very much, you know, moving from an undisciplined, uh, young adult, Mm-hmm. to going into very tough training. And the attrition rate for the basic reconnaissance course uh, is extremely high. Um, and so, you know, making it through that was was a struggle. Uh, you know, I finished third or second out of like 30. Wow. Uh, in BRC. Um, but, uh, you know, the Marine Corps laid the foundation for me to be successful. And, and, and they continued... To, to, to work on my mental toughness and my discipline and my commitment. So when I switched over to SEALs, yes. Is the SEAL training, uh, you know, undeniably the, the toughest training in the world? Yes, because they have a few components. It, they, they put people on the, in the water nonstop. And equal, uh, water is the equalizer of all men and women. Um, you are cold, wet, and sandy the entire time. They are robbing you of your oxygen at times. And it doesn't matter, it, it, you know, if you've got 7% body fat and you're muscle bound, uh, that's not what, what the determination is of what makes a great SEAL. Um, so I knew the training was going to be tough. But a uh, my Marine officer instructor, um, for, uh, then was Major Rodriguez, I think he, he got out as a colonel, uh, was a Mustang like I was, a, a prior enlisted Marine. And he congratulated me. He's like, dude, awesome. You want to go be a SEAL? And he helped me out, put the package in for the inter-service transfer. And the last piece of advice he gave me was, hey, do me a favor don't quit. 
He said, if you quit, you will embarrass the Marine Corps. And I laughed. Oh, jeez. I'm like, it was a valid point. He said it like half jokingly and half uh, very serious. And I'm like, sir, I will not let you down because he helped me. Because uh, there, there, were, there were some Marines that were not too happy mm-hmm. that I just finished Marine OCS and I was going to jump ship, as we say, to, to go to the, uh, the SEALs. But when I made it into the SEAL training, you know, I still, I was an ensign now, but still very much a sergeant in mentality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I just focused on leading from the front, and, which means I was a little more vocal, probably too, uh, too vocal than I needed to be. <laughs> but none of the kids had prior special operations experience where I did. I was al- already a combat diver, sniper. Um, and, and so they rallied around me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if I could be that rock for them, uh, I loved it. I mean, I had some studs in my class. Uh, Nick Check, who went on to posthumously receive the, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the Navy Cross during a hostage rescue. Um, Dr. Johnny Kim, who uh, became, uh, you know, he was a Silver Star recipient. Uh, the Navy sent him to become uh, uh, an officer. He finished uh, his uh, his uh, mathematics degree with a 3.98. Went to Harvard, became a Harvard educated doctor, and then a NASA astronaut by the the age of 34. Wow, we have <laughs> and. Um, you know, I, I just focused on leading. That that's what I did. Now, from a mental aspect, the training is more mental than it is. It's very physical. Mm-hmm. It's very physical, but it is it is one big mental test. And your body will break long after your mind. If anything is going to break first, it's going to be your mind. Your body is so resilient and can keep on going. And that's why Hell Week is designed the way it is. I mean, five days straight, no sleep. Uh, you do have like uh, a sleep period here and there for like an hour, which isn't worth it because you don't enter REM. Yeah. And when you wake up, you worse. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say, oh, that would be awful. guys. Just, yeah, guys just and they 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 just stay awake. Um, I mean, you're cold, wet, sandy the entire time. You run about uh, something like 100 to 125 miles with these 200 pound boats on your heads in teams of six to seven. Um, it is one mental uh, leap, and I actually went back. And I was a buzz instructor. I ran the junior officer training course. I was the director of that course. And um, the training is designed not to be uh, sadistic, not mm-hmm. to, to watch people, uh, you know, complete things in pain. It's designed to push people to their mental and physical limits because that's when true character emerges. That's where we see what you're truly made of. And we have, I mean, SEAL training as well as like Army Green Beret or Special Forces uh, Assessment Selection. These are talent magnets. You've got thousands of kids trying to compete to, to even get one of the slots to uh, start the uh, the training. And you've got Division One football players. You've got Olympic athletes that show up. Sometimes they're the first to quit because they've never experienced failure like they that like you're going to fail that, mm-hmm. that you're going to experience in special operations assessment and selection. It's designed to make you fail again and again and again to see how you react. And uh, it, it's something to watch, man. It's well-designed. It is still being evolved uh, to this day. And in fact, my centennial class just finished Hell Week last Friday. So I was class 247. Mm-hmm. This is class 347 going through training 20 years later. Oh, wow. And they went from 250 kids and 13 were standing at the end of Hell Week. They went from 250 Jeez. down to 13. That's, That's wild. I, 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 the kids that make it through that. And I applaud all the others that gave it a shot. 
at least they had the courage to step into the arena. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Go on to do great things in your life elsewhere. Wow. That's, that's phenomenal. Just, I mean, it's such an elite group of people because of their mental toughness and their physical toughness. And to go from 250 down to 13, I mean, I, I can't imagine being one of those 13, but I also can't imagine being one of those 250 because it, like you said, it, it's a huge step to commit to say, I'm going to go to SEAL training. Like you really have to be a special type of person. I don't know how else to say it. Like (laughs) I couldn't do it. There's no way, but I applaud the people who can. And I think that's really amazing. That that's crazy. So, okay. So you did 20 years and was it your choice to get out at the 20 year mark? Was your body just like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, what, what made you decide to get out in 2018? Yeah, it, first off, it was 100% my choice uh, to get out. Um, it, it was the the accumulation of, of several variables. Um, you know, I ended up making it to JSOC very uh, young in my tenure as an officer and spent a majority of my career at, at the Joint Special Operations Command, um, which, you know, uh, the, the seals that make it there is only one out of 35 seals make it, make, makes it to that level. It, it's a, it, it's the next rung, uh, of, uh, of special operations, the final rung. Uh, and it's very difficult to make it there. Um, and you have higher expectations uh, on your performance. Uh, they call you to the front more. And so at the end of my career, I had 10 combat deployments by my 18 year mark. Um, well, it wasn't even that 17 year mark. And as the war progressed, you know, I I was involved in in of those, you know, 11 total deployments, 10 combat deployments. And my 10 combat deployments, you know, I lost uh, a lot of uh, buddies. Mm -hmm. And I compartmentalized that for a long time. And I justified it. Just, hey, you know, bury it deep. Go get revenge. Go get retribution uh, against the enemy uh, for their deaths. And while that drove me to deploy and deploy and, and go hard against the enemy, uh, and bring the fight to them, it, there was a unhealthy uh, component to it. Mm-hmm. And as politics started to, to, to play into our ability to wage war against a very evil uh, and determined enemy, um, I started to lose belief in what we were doing. Um, you know, again, serving at the highest tactical level when all this is going on, but my, my, my guys and I were put in the situations uh, where we accepted a lot of risk and right up to the, 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 the White House at the time um, made awful calls that we ended up uh, not seizing opportunities to, to bring the fight to the family. And I was with the Army component of JSOC as a troop commander in 2014 uh, when we stepped back into Iraq against ISIS. Uh, the previous deployment, uh, I was appalled by a decision that was made, again, because my guys were, were put... Uh, in extreme, in, in harm's way, in, in a place that wasn't a theater of war, mm-hmm. and that uh, a lack of leadership at the highest level, people not getting along, resulted in uh, the enemy, uh, us not striking the blow to the enemy. And then I end up back in uh, Iraq when the whole ISIS thing kicked off. We were amongst the first troops in, and uh, it felt like we had handcuffs 
And that was my final like moment. I, I wasn't like leading. I, you know, I'd already been selected to take mm-hmm. second in command of his assault squadron. Uh, I was one of the first in my year group to be selected as an executive officer. Um, I, I was on a trajectory to, to, uh, to, to command uh, a squadron to, to continue to promote. And um, it, it almost like it just happened. Like the, the pot just boiled over in one moment. And in Iraq, I woke up after a day in which uh, we were close to an ISIS position, didn't have authority to do a damn thing. And it was like just one moment where I'm like, I'm done. Ugh. I'm done because I've lost faith, mm-hmm. not in the military leaders, in, in my direct leadership. Mm-hmm. And there is somebody that's younger and more mo- motivated. They have less combat experience, but because of their, their, their belief mm-hmm. in, in the system and the motivation, they, they, they can take my place and move on. I never had any, any ill-conceived notions that I was irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people that do lack uh, humility. Yeah, uh, I definitely. knew that I could leave the military, the military, which is 245 years old, will continue to, uh, to move right along uh, without me. So um, it wasn't an easy decision. Because I felt like I was letting the other guys down, but it was best for what was me, and, and things in my life were starting to get out of balance. That's I, I mean that that's really a respectable choice, and I think so. I guess what I wonder then is, so you lived a very intense life, for lack of better words, um, you know, high training and and all these things. What did you do to prepare? to leave that then? Cause I, I feel like you're going at 150% and then it's like, okay, I'm going to transition out. And that 150%, I feel like changed for me getting out of the military. So what did you do to prepare for your transition to like be a quote unquote normal person? Yeah. So after that deployment, I came back, I was supposed to take second in command of, of an assault squadron. And I said, Hey, I'm done. And I still had two and a half years until uh, I retired. And they said, okay, well, what do you want to do? And they they gave me my options of all these different military tours. And eventually I would come back to that command. But I'm like, no, I I, I want to go to Texas because I was going through a divorce. She was taking the kids back to Texas. I said, I want to go to Austin, Texas. Bottom line, full stop. And, uh, of course, they pushed back on that. I said, no, I'm going to Austin, Texas, figure out a way. So they finally – realigned a billet to the University of Texas Naval ROTC. And it I was I was an ROTC instructor on paper, but let me make no mistake, they called ahead and said, don't touch this guy. He's on his own program. He's gonna get his MBA. Um and, and the ROTC unit was good with that, you know. Mm-hmm. And basically they called me when I needed to take a uh, a drug test. Oh there you go. <laughs> yeah. And um I, I would come speak to, to the students every once in a while on leadership or, or those that wanted to go into EOD or SEALs. Not that I know much uh, about EOD uh, other than I highly respect them. Um, and so I entered into the full-time uh, MBA program at the University of Texas McCombs Business School. And, you know, funny is, you know, I, you know, all, all the 10 deployments had finally come to a headway where, where, where this pot was bowling over. And um, I, I was going through a rough time, which I internalized. Uh, you know, I dealt with behind closed doors. I would, you know, wake up and go, you know, finish my MBA classes. And then uh, uh, eventually I, I had to start talking to somebody to, to work through um, 
the the the, the normal reactions of war. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, I, I was fortunate that most military members were you know my last two years I'm getting an MBA. Um, and, and the MBA was more of a process of elimination. Uh, what I mean by that is. Uh, as I'm looking into these different functions, these different industries, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't interest me. That doesn't interest me. Until uh, so I was only left with a few things. While I raised my business acumen by getting an MBA, there's no way to paint the transition out of the military uh, other than it completely and utterly sucks. Yes. <laughs> that's the way to sugarcoat that. If you're looking for easy transitions, uh, that is like a unicorn. There is no such thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some things you can do in, in getting your mind right as you step into the transition. And, and one of them is, um, I know we're used to driving results. You've got to be somewhat patient. It is a, it is a long process. Um, you know, it took you years to become good at your job in the military. And while you are some of the best leaders coming out, it is going to take you years to become great. Uh, in the business world to build your uh, business acumen or industry knowledge in whatever, whatever industry you step into. So you've got to temper uh, your, your approach. Um, uh, again, the leadership principles that you learned in what in the military, which is the greatest leadership development platform in the world does absolutely matter. And if you can double down on that while you're learning your specific industry, uh, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But um, your transition is a direct product of how well you prepare for it. Bottom line. That that is um, probably the best quote I could, I could take away about military transition because I've I've interviewed twenty o- almost thirty people at this point for the podcast and um, the people who prepare and they spend a year getting ready to transition out of the military and they set everything up and they, you know, save up their money and they have all this stuff that their transition seems pretty seamless. I mean, there's still bumps along the way, but then there's people like me who um, did not prepare at all, didn't save any money. And I got out and I was like, oh no, this is not the business. (laughs) This is awful. Um, and it, it took a lot of years for me to kind of get back on my feet and realize that, yes, my service to this country mattered. And I worked really hard to get where I was at. But that doesn't necessarily define who I am as a person. And I had to figure out who I was as a person, you know, post-military. So how did you go from being, you know, 18, 19 years old and hard charging for 20 years and then come out? How do you, how do you, I guess, balance all of that? If that makes sense. Uh, not well. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. The, 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 the honest answer. Um, so uh, another thing that set me up for success, Kelsey, is while I was at the MBA program, still active duty, um, a few gentlemen helped me start a foundation based off what I had learned uh, in my MBA. And I wanted to pay it back to my brothers and sisters who were now calling me like, Hey dude, what, what, what do I do? Um, you know, do I need to go get an MBA? My answer was absolutely not. Um, so general Tony Kukolo, Admiral Bobby and, and Admiral, uh, William McRaven, uh, helped me stand up something called the Vetted Foundation. And with the help of the Texas A&M McCones Business School, as well as the Texas A&M Mays Business School, we stood up something called the Veteran Accelerated Management Program. 
And this was looking at mainly senior uh, leaders. And when I say senior, you're talking like E7s, DE9s, O3s and above. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a, a quick MBA course, one to two months to raise the business acumen in veterans. When we stood this up as part of the MBA project, I pulled in 20 other veterans in the school. Most of the guys were much smarter than me, all service academy graduates. Um, and we dove into, we did a 60-page uh, research pa- paper on the systemic challenges facing the veterans. And so that's why we des- designed the course the way it was. We raised half a million dollars. We ran one pilot program. Uh, and, and the 25 veterans that went through that course the metrics were, were through the roof. In fact, Huffington Post ha- hailed it as potentially uh, revolutionizing the way that veterans act in the military. Oh, wow. And it failed. We got one class of 25 through, and ultimately we were trying to get this VA certified um, so that vets could use their VA benefits, their GI Bill, to pay for the two-month course. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, am 100% hundred percent responsible for the failure of the organization. I was the one who stood it up. I was the, uh, the, the, the director. Uh, it's because I miscalculated politics in the state of Texas mm. and, uh, the Texas veteran commission viewed us as, uh, the enemy and not a, uh, a, a multiplier to what they had going on. And so, uh, politics ended up killing us again. I should have known the, 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 the battleground, I should have known who's who in the zoo and and created strong relationships with those people in order to make sure it succeeded, but I did not. So um, my first venture outside of the military was a, a, a failure in which I learned so much and then pivoted and took the Vetted Foundation, the nonprofit, and turned it into a for-profit, which became a company known as EF Overwatch which is a executive search firm that places very senior military leaders as, as well as non-civilian business leaders into senior management positions. And now that company, EF Overwatch, is being rebranded uh, because of the success of, uh, of our book, The Talent War. And so the new name is The Talent War Group. And we're placing veterans uh, weekly in, into senior management positions in small to, uh, to mid-sized uh, companies. Kelsey, there is one thing you said where, you know, you, you took a job outside the military and you're like, oh, this, this is not it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to throw out numbers. I, I'm trying to remember what it was, but it, I think we found the, the statistic for a veteran turnout that there's a 95% chance that the job you take will not end up being the only job you take out of the military. You're, you're probably going to move from company to company until you find the right one. Oh, I, so I you, agree with that 1 million percent. And, <laughs> and, and they tell that. You know, like, hey, don't leave your job within the first year. Uh, th- there's some truth to that. But there's also, if your company is so poorly led, get out of there. Don't waste a, uh, another second. Go find a company with a great culture. Mm-hmm. So if you walk into a company, there, there's one of two things. One, yeah, maybe the industry and the job just doesn't, uh, you know, create a passion in you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the leadership in that company is so god-awful um, that it's a miserable environment. You're looking for something in industry and a function that does that does motivate you, but ultimately you're trying to you know you don't take a job, you take a you you choose a boss. Mm-hmm. You're trying to find that culture, that company, that like is just so positive that replicates the great tribal environment that the military had. And if that is a 
window washing service and you're a general manager of a region, I, like, I don't care. It's because I like the people. We're all motivated. We're all trying to get better on, uh, each day. And, and if you find an environment like that, that that's a, I don't care how much money you're making. You, you're, you're a lot richer than, uh, than most people think. Definitely. So then if you're, because I, I have read in, you know, military transition books and I was looking for all kinds of in, inspiration in my first few years out, I've read that like higher, um, higher ranking officers or higher ranking enlisted shouldn't expect to take on management roles in corporate America when they get out of the military. Because you're essentially, yes, you have great leadership, but you don't know what it's like to run a company in corporate America. So your your business that you have, the the talent group, how does that kind of change that outlook? Because I, I firmly believe in what you're doing. I just don't know how to translate it to somebody who's listening like, well, I'm trying to get a job in corporate America, but they don't you know, understand my management style or they don't understand this about me. Like, what would you say to the veteran that's thinking that? So you, you said it in the question that they shouldn't expect to take a senior management position in corporate America, the fortune 500 or the fortune 1000, which is you know, what, what most veterans put their resumes into because, hey, they've heard of Apple, they've heard of Google, they've heard of Goldman Sachs, they've heard of, uh, you know, Honeywell. So uh, Talent War Group, EF Overwatch, uh, only focuses on small to mid-sized businesses, uh, which is the backbone uh, of America to the tune of uh, 99% of all businesses are small or mid-sized. Now, small, uh, I'm, I'm going to screw these numbers up, uh, can be as many as 100 employees or up to 50 million, and then mid-sized businesses are up to a thousand employees uh, and up to one billion dollars. So some of these can be massive companies, and they're mm-hmm. privately held. So when I did Vetted Foundation, where did I go to raise funds? Oh, I, I naturally went to all the Fortune 500s, and it was it, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is awful. Like these people are dismissing that every everything I've done mm-hmm. and, and just giving me excuses of why I need to start uh, lower in, in the food chain. And, you know, um, I, I've sort of smashed that theory that like, you know, veterans can't come out and start their own businesses and, and be highly successful. I'm like, no, you, you actually can't. Mm-hmm. If you just apply the tenets of leadership while learning the business acumen and learning from each mistake that you make, you're going to be fine. So the reason the talent war group uh, places veterans into management positions is because we're focused on small to mid-sized businesses that put a precedent on leadership over industry skills. Which, you know, Google, uh, who outspends their competitors on talent two to three times uh, what their competitors pay, did a study uh, over, I believe it was 10 years, it's called Project Oxygen, uh, studied their best managers over a course of 10 years. And they wanted to identify what made those uh, great managers so great. And they came up with 10 things. Industry or technical knowledge came in at number eight within the last three most important things, or I should say the least important things. Mm -hmm. Everything that was important to a good manager was the ability to to coach and mentor, to clearly define a vision and then lay out what needed to be accomplished to achieve that vision. Uh, You know, people that uh, 
could could resolve uh, conflict. Good communicators could, uh, you know, create coalitions, build teams. If that doesn't sound like, sound like a military veteran, I don't know what does. Yeah, definitely. And, and it, that's why small to mid-sized businesses are totally uh, receptive to taking on these leaders who know how to build winning cultures, knowing that they can teach them the industry skills in, in, in a few months to a few years. Yeah, I mean, that that's... That's huge. That's, I think that's what every person or a majority of the people getting out of the military are looking for, the ability to use the leadership skills that they have gained in their time in service to help others. You know, I, I think we all join the military in some form or fashion to help. And so I know when I left, I felt like I'm not helping anybody anymore. What am I doing with my life? And I think that is a big issue among transitioning service members. I don't know. So as, as a company, I rarely, rarely work with Fortune 500s or major corporations unless I'm talking to senior leaders and like look, looking each other in the eye and we're completely aligned mm -hmm. to what they want. Um, and I, I'll tell you one industry I've totally stayed away from, and I'm just appalled because I was born in Silicon Valley, is the, uh, the tech industry. Um, they just are, you know, everyone says they love to hire vets, rare, like rarely do the corporate, uh, does the corporate world do it or do it well. Mm -hmm. Um, it's almost like certain companies bragging about how many veterans they hire and they're like, Oh, okay. What positions were the, the bulk of those hires? Oh, it was frontline cashiers or baristas. Yeah, for real. <laughs> uh, exactly. Exactly. They're, it's very condescending. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes when you talk to some of these corporate leaders, uh, that say, hey, Mike, you, you just don't understand. Um, or, hey, Mike, the, the business world isn't like the military. In the military, you can just tell people what to do and they run off and do it. And that's where I have to educate them. I'm like, you're, you're absolutely wrong. I don't know what movies you have been watching, but leading uh, 40 tier one SEALs who are smarter than me, who, um, who, who, as an officer, I didn't even have a master's degree at that point. Like, a couple of them had master's degrees. Mm -hmm. They have their own agendas, they're, they're A type personalities. Uh, they have their own solutions to problems. Uh, no, you know what? Leading those type of people is challenging, and you've got to build coalitions. You've got to provide the the, the, the outcome or the end state that you want to uh, uh, achieve. You've got to make sure that everyone's growing in, in the right direction. And I'm like, does that sound like the business world? And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, that's what the military is. So um, I do understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a tough conversation to have. Um, it's a tough conversation for an E9 to hear that from a business leader who, who sort of uh, again, is shaping their perceptions about the military based off of what they saw in uh, platoon yeah. or, uh, <laughs> or, or generation kill. Yeah, it's and I think, unfortunately, while some military movies are really great and military shows are really great, I think sometimes that paints a bad picture for veterans to people who have never experienced life in the military. Because the last movie I watched. Was was a movie that recently came out called Cherry, oh, uh, I haven't seen it. With, with the guy who played uh, plays Batman, or not Batman, uh, uh, Spider Man, and he went to war in Iraq, did one deployment in in, in the movie. It was a very combat filled deployment, mm -hmm. and then comes back, becomes a heroin addict, and ends up in prison. <laughs> awesome! <laughs> Come on, like what percentage of, uh, of military veterans uh, does that actually uh, align with? Maybe like 
0.5%. Yeah. Not even one. That, 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 that's an injustice to our, to, to our vets, man. Mm-hmm. We, we've got to redefine what, what, what it means to be a military leader. Because here's another thing, Chelsea. People are like, well, you know, uh, well, strict discipline. I'm like, hey, I, I don't know where you heard that. Yeah, we're disciplined by nature. That's required for the job because mm-hmm. it's very taxing mentally and physically. But actually, you know, a lot of the leaders that I know and who I learned from, we, we led through love. It's because we loved our people so much. We loved and had such compassion for our people that we understood holding them accountable is, is defined by compassion because we want them to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. We want them to do the right thing when, when nobody is looking. Uh, and we loved our people a lot more than we hated the enemy over there. Mm-hmm. And, and when you love your people that much, you're not going to let anyone mess with your family. So um, pe- pe- people just, it's hard for them to understand if they didn't experience it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Definitely. So at the Talent War Group, then, do you solely focus on, like, job placement or are you helping with, like, translating resumes? Because that's a whole nother issue in the world of military transition. Um, I could write all day long about all the things I did in military terms, but sometimes translating those, um, that n- it never translates correctly. <laughs> so um, do you focus on, like, interview skills or or what are the things that you're kind of focused on there? So we, we build such strong relationships with our company that the resume it is, it, it is a like speed bump mm-hmm. that we get over very quickly. Um, when I send a resume to a company, a mid-sized company uh, owner uh, or leader, uh, and my sentence simply says, hey, you have to interview this guy for the position. They say, Roger that, Mike. Um, uh, we're, we're putting our credibility behind that person. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're not going to send the resume. We, we just send that for, for what I call a quick lens. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they got to get them into the interview process. Here's the problem. When these vets today are, are putting in um, resumes into these major corporations, it depends on who's reading it. And, and George Randall, my, my managing partner uh, of Talent War Group uh, and the co-author of the book, he's he was a vet Army Mustang back in the 80s and 90s. He's been in HR and, and uh, talent acquisition for over 20-plus years. He helped design the uh, veteran hiring program at Hewlett Packard, uh, KPMG. Uh, this guy has over 85,000 hires in his belt. We wrote this book because we know that the corporate HR uh, space mm-hmm. is fundamentally broken. Um, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, in SEAL training, we don't send our B and C players, and, and there are SEALs that are not good performers. We don't send those guys to training. Do you know why? Because they would be so uh, uh, scared of letting talent, uh, talented younger people into the organization that they wouldn't select them. B players select C players. A players, people that are true leaders that are reading resumes, mm-hmm. have the ability to recognize leadership when they see it. And that's why we don't work with most Fortune 500. Um, is their HR reps, uh, you know, maybe the person screening it, maybe 24 years old out, out with a college degree who's, who, who doesn't have much experience under the belt, reading the resume of a Navy lieutenant who led it up to, you know, 50 people in mm-hmm. some of the most austere environments. Um, that's hard for a, for a 24-year-old to translate. Yeah. So... <laughs> And that's half the problem. Yeah. Here's my suggestion to 
Um, and that's why George and I wrote the book. I mean, the book is making waves. In fact, I just got an email. Someone's like, this needs to become the Bible of HR and talent acquisition. And my only response was, man, that's, that's great. <laughs> um, but the best way to, to get into any company, if it is a Fortune 500, let's say you want to go work for, for, for Honeywell, is you need to start getting on LinkedIn, creating relationships with people on Honeywell, request coffee, request a phone call. It is going to be through your networking. Uh, it's not what you know, which is sad. Mm-hmm. It's who you A lot of times, people that are less competent get the job because they knew where to focus their time. I spoke to a Marine aviator. who was an F-18 pilot. got out of 04. He really wanted to go work for a tech company. He sent over 500 LinkedIn messages. And he said something like 40 people responded to his messages. He went and had coffee or a phone call with them, which then led to two or three more meetings from each person until he eventually got an offer from that company. He went the indirect route, which is actually the smart uh, approach. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than putting his resume in and constantly getting rejected, uh, by some of these uh, these these algorithms and uh, applicant tracking systems. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it takes a lot of work to do that. So you have to be committed to the the time and the effort of reaching out to all these people and and talking to them. But I think you're like the third or fourth person who's mentioned using LinkedIn as as a tool to learn more about the company that you're interested in, because there's always a veteran somewhere in there who you can connect with or find or even non-veterans who are willing to talk about where they work because they're passionate about what they do and learning from them. Yeah. Um, here's we're, we're getting into a different subject, but when it comes to HR, um, HR is not, I'm going to be careful here. Uh, <laughs> I, let's just say I have a lot of problems with, with HR. Mm-hmm. It, the, the strength of your human resources department uh, is directly correlated to who you have running it and whether they are a strong business leader who, who understands leadership, knows how to identify character and passion, knowing that that passion, that curiosity to always uh, experiment with new things or, or to understand why things work the way they uh, they do so that you can improve upon it. If they can identify that in potential candidates, those are the type of people you bring into your, uh, your organizations. Industry experience, and we talked about this in the book, industry experience, which most of that's here the, when they get rejected. Hey, you're a great person. You seem like a great leader, but you just lack five years of marketing experience or five years of manufacturing experience. That is the easy button for HR uh, leaders to let people go. And it is also an objective measure. Objective measures meaning, oh, yes, he does have five years of marketing experience. He worked for a competitor. It's almost like a, a what was the person's GPA? That is a very objective measure. It was either yeah. a 3.9 or 2.7. <laughs> good HR practitioners dive into this objective. Does this person's values align with the corporation? Does Is this person driven? Is this person a potential cultural multiplier? Um, but most HR representatives don't have that, uh, that ability. Uh, going back to data, industry experience is the least likely indicator of performance for a new hire. Think about it this way. If McDonald's is hiring, uh, and I use this example from a guy named Dr. Josh Cotton, who, who's worked with uh, vets, uh, in fact, worked with the military on how they select talent into their communities. He said, if, if, general, uh, if McDonald's is hiring for a general manager, 
what they most likely do is they go steal a general manager from Taco Bell or Burger King. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that is the assumption that, oh, well, they've got industry experience and they work for our competitor, so they must know how to do the job. And that person gets into the seat, they're a complete disaster, which usually means that they are uh, they lack character, they're not a good leader, they alienate people, and so you end up back in the same position looking for a new general manager. Mm-hmm. Now, had you hired a veteran who knows, knows how to, uh, to, to form teams, knows how to lead people, knows how to set goals and then direct people in, in that direction, arming them and empowering them, uh, to make decisions in, in their absence and training them to a standard, the outcomes end up a lot better. That's great. I should just have you on every day. This is great. I've learned so much in just this short amount of time. I mean, so it, am I. <laughs> it's so good. Um, so, I mean, you've, you've given so much advice thus far, but what is, if you had to, kind of sum it all up, what is some of the best advice that you could give to a service member who is either thinking about getting out, is in the process of transitioning out or just transitioned out or whatever? What would you tell them to like encourage them, motivate them, all of that? Take a breath. Take a breath. First, contextualize everything that you've learned in the military. And sometimes that means dealing with trauma up front, like I refused to do for 10 years uh, until, until I had to, until things boiled over. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the best advice I can give you, again, is, is your outcomes are a direct product of how much preparation you put in. Um, Talent War Group really deals with senior veterans, E7s, E9s, uh, or, or 03s and above, or that, that, that got out and have significant uh, business experience. We are standing up a company called Career Recon. Uh, it's a joint venture with Homefront Alliance. We will have something, uh, a tool that vets can use. It's called the uh, Accelerated Career Development Pathway, the ACDP. And we've created a 10-step process to help you mentally walk through the process of the transition. And actually, the first one is know thyself. You shouldn't engage in the transition process if you've not done a personal inventory of your strengths and weaknesses. Also, you have to define success. A lot of people jump into the transition without knowing what success looks like. It, it may be ambiguous as, oh, just getting a job. So we provided these tools on the accelerated career uh, pathway, uh, development pathway um, so that you ask these questions. And sometimes it's sitting down. If you've got a spouse, a husband or a wife, they're involved in that process. Mm-hmm. So if I sit down with my wife, we would give them like a, a checklist of defining success. Like, hey, out of 10, these 10 things, which could be like salary, title, location, um, you know, family time, what are the things that are most important to you uh, with the job that you take? Um, if it's location, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. I totally get that. You just limit your options to whatever industries are in that area and then what functions uh, exist within those specific industries. Um, so uh, please go, we're, we're going to have that posted here shortly. Go to, go, to, go to Career Recon, use that tool, there's also some videos that walk you through the process. Myself, George Randall, Carly Walden, who, who runs uh, Talent War Group full-time, and she was an Air Force vet. Uh, we understand uh, the struggles of the transition. This is just a process to help you sort of prepare. So you cannot prepare uh, soon enough. That's awesome. That's so good. I'm, I'm just so grateful that we could do this interview today. 
I feel like I feel like you've inspired and motivated me to like get it together just a little bit more <laughs> and you know focus on what those what I view success to be because I think we are often told what success should be and many of us just take it as it is but to really focus on what we think success is I think is really important you know Kelsey um I draw my motivation from other people and I love these phone calls again um you're impacting one veteran at a time and guess what people need to stop changing the world just focus on the person to your left and right and that's what you're doing and the hope is that those people go on to impact one or two more people and if you can do that you have an exponential effect in life definitely well thank you so much um I don't know if there's anything else you want to plug social media or websites that they can go to where can they find the talent war group all that stuff i don't know if you want to just yeah talentwargroup.com uh we also do a lot of uh content uh i've got something called the leadership the talent war group leadership collective uh full of former soft e9s uh special operations officers who are in the business world now give them good advice uh uh, we've got a mental health component, some of the best uh, mental health docs out there uh, talking about, uh, you know, mental health. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the one who I brag about the most, Lisa Jaster, who was a West Point graduate. She is now a reserve battalion commander, but Lisa is well known for being the third woman to graduate later school. And, and she sort of heads up the Leadership Collective. She's awesome. Uh, and all these people come in and speak to companies. So uh, for vets to, to listen to them, they give better advice than me. Well, geez, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty high bar. So <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah, Lisa, Lisa's pretty kick-assed. that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I, I don't think I could say that enough. I really appreciate you being on the show today. And I just, I'm just going to take all this for myself too. And, and really, um, evaluate and like, look at things from a different perspective. So I appreciate that. Well, Kelsey, stay the course. Uh, as we say, and uh, let's link back up one year from now and we'll, we'll, we'll exchange what we've learned, which uh, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, lessons uh, and failures ahead of us, but that's what. Awesome. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much. Yes, ma'am. Be good. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Whoa. That was so cool. Like, I don't know about the listeners that are listening. I don't know about you guys. But I feel pretty motivated, and um, I'm really grateful for Mike being on the show today. I'm thankful for our listeners. Um, I'm just grateful. Like, this was awesome. So to learn more about us, to hear previous episodes, or if you are interested in being on the show, you can find us at aveteranspodcast.com. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Wisconsin Veterans Network, a Wisconsin nonprofit operated by veterans and serving veterans in need. And we will post all of the links and everything on our page, um, on our social media. So follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at A Veterans Podcast. And until next time.